morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to River Glen. Good to see you, those of you joining us online. Thanks so much for uh, being with us today. I'm so glad that you have uh, joined us. Welcome to week number three of At the Movies, where each weekend we look at a different movie and we draw out the uh, gospel truths contained in it or related to it. And we've done series like this before where we've looked at movies uh, where we bounce off the movie, dive into the scripture. But this one is, I think, the first time that we've done one that would be considered a love story. Yeah, Hollywood's been cranking out love stories since they began making movies. Now, if I were to ask you to name, you know, a popular movie uh, that's a love story, I don't know what you might think of. I don't know, maybe The Notebook, Titanic, Beauty and the Beast, right? The list goes on and on. But you know what? Probably nobody would mention the movie we're going to talk about today. It's called Still Alice, but it's actually a love story. Still Alice was not a a huge uh, box office success. You know, you probably haven't, many of you probably haven't seen it, but, but my guess is that you won't soon forget it. Yeah, critics loved it. Uh, Julianne Moore actually won the Academy Award for Best Actress for her role in the film. But to be honest with you, it is a difficult movie to watch because it's a movie all about a family that goes through something very difficult and very painful. And as a church family, as the River Glen family, it just so happens that uh, we've had something happen this week that was uh, painful and uh, difficult that I want to talk with you about before we really take a look at this uh, movie. Uh, on Friday, a couple days ago on Friday, we sent out an all-church email regarding our youth pastor, Andy Averill. And many of you received it, but uh, some of you did not or uh, maybe didn't get a chance to uh, read it. And so for those of you who didn't read it or maybe you need a reminder of it, let me, let me read it to you. Just go ahead and read it to you right now. This is from uh, Andy Averill. River Glen family, during the past week, I confessed to my family and leaders at River Glen some sin in my life that requires me to resign from my position. I believe we can struggle and serve, but this was more than a struggle. This was disobedient and hurt me and those close to me. To be a leader, you need to follow, and in that regard, I failed. I failed as a pastor and as a leader in this church, and for that, I'm very sorry. James says to confess your sins to one another, and you'll find healing. Jesus heals broken things. That's my hope for me and my family going forward, and also for River Glen, as I leave behind any brokenness, hurt, anger, sadness, or confusion. I'll continue to pray for the future of River Glen, and I ask that you keep my family in your prayers, and if you can, me as well. Lastly, I want to say that my failures do not reflect the type of church this is. My life and so many of yours have been transformed here, and it's possible because of the staff, volunteers, leaders, and elders of River Glen. Please don't, look at, please don't let my failures take away from their faithfulness, and please do not view our student ministry through the lens of my failure. After almost nine years of working in student ministry, I know it only exists because of incredible leaders and volunteers who love teenagers. My resignation might be difficult, but it won't change the fact that students are loved, cared for, and guided here. Thank you for allowing me to serve you all these years. I will always be grateful for them. Andy. That's the first time that you're hearing this. It's difficult to digest. And even if you've had a, a couple days... It's difficult, and so we all walk in today feeling different emotions, maybe shock, sadness, 
anger, maybe love, compassion. And those are all valid and appropriate feelings. It reminds us, I think, of our humanity and how each one of us has a sin nature within us. And we all struggle. We all battle with sin. Now, I do want to take a moment and address some questions that you might have or maybe you will have. First, this was Andy's decision to confess and resign. And, of course, we feel very sad about this. But our leaders agree with Andy that this is the best course of action. This will allow Andy to focus on God and his family and healing and restoration. Second, there may be a curiosity for you to want to know more details. I will tell you this did not involve any students or put any students in danger. But I want to ask everyone to please respect the privacy of Andy and his family. Please do not fish for more information. Do not ask or speculate about details. There's, there's nothing to be gained. This serves no good purpose. Andy will no longer be on our staff, but you will see Andy and Christina around River Glen. Andy's my friend, and I'm not going to leave him alone. We're not going to leave him alone. We're going to walk alongside him, and we're going to help Andy. Third, Andy mentioned that he's worked in student ministry for nine years, two years as a volunteer, seven years as a staff member. And so today is part of Andy's story. But really the bigger story is that God has used Andy to teach hundreds and hundreds of students about Jesus and and help them grow in their faith. And this does not change or negate any of that. Some of you may be wondering about our immediate plans for the student ministry. We're fortunate to have an experienced resident youth pastor named Garrett Johnston. And uh, Garrett has agreed to step up and lead the ministry for the rest of the summer. We also have a team of people that we've put around him and many volunteers that have just stepped up and said, we'll do whatever is needed to serve the students and and keep the ministry moving forward. And uh, we appreciate that and keep them all in your prayers. Well, Andy asked us to pray for him and uh, his family, and so let's go ahead and do that. God, I want to lift up Andy and his family to you. Thank you for his honesty and humility and confession. Thank you for your grace and love and forgiveness. And God, I pray that you would help him and his family to feel your love and the healing that comes from you. And God, I pray for our church family today that maybe you can use maybe even this message today related to this movie, to strengthen us and help us to feel your presence and your love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, sometimes families uh, have to deal with some some, some difficult things, some painful things. And in this movie, uh, Still Alice, this family goes through a very painful and difficult situation. Julianne Moore plays the lead character, Dr. Alice, uh, Dr. Alice, Howland, a highly acclaimed linguistics professor at Columbia University in New York City. She's got a thriving marriage with her husband, John. John is a doctor, and he's played by Alec Baldwin. She has three grown uh, children, and the movie begins on a happy note. Alice celebrates her 50th birthday with her family. It's a joyous occasion, and all is right. All seems right with the world, but what Alice and her family don't know is that Alice is very sick, and her life is about to dramatically change. Her symptoms first appear when she gives a lecture, a guest lecture, uh, to her colleagues. 
at UCLA. Today, I'd like to focus on some recent studies from my lab on the acquisition of past tense irregular verb forms in children between the ages of 18 months and two and a half years. Now, you may say that this falls into the great academic tradition of knowing more and more about less and less until we know everything about nothing. <laughs> But I hope to convince you that by observing these baby steps into the... into... Uh, I... Oh, I knew I shouldn't have had that champagne. <laughs> into the word stock of a given language, we will learn crucial information about the relationship between memory and computation that is the very essence of communication. Hello. Hi. Come on in. Hello. Hi. Hi. Good to see you. This is Jenny. Hello. I'm Alice. I'm so happy you could join us. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Sweetheart, why don't you um, guys go in there and get a drink and, and uh, grab the the cheese thing <laughs> and yeah, all right yeah. um, i'm so happy you could join us i really am Jenny. thank you your mom already it's crazy i know <laughs> are you kidding yeah, what kind of soup out it's better not squash hi i'm alice i'm so happy you could join us not an accident and jenny it's really nice to meet you well yeah i think i deserve a glass of wine after all that don't you no i don't see anything abnormal in your mri no cerebral vascular disease, no evidence of any strokes, no masses. Thank God. And your blood work came back completely clear. But what worries me are the memory tests that I sent you for. You have sporadic memory impairment totally out of proportion to your age. And there is evidence of decline in your level of mental function. So I think we should do a PET scan. It's similar to an MRI, but it can pick up things at the molecular level. I know what a PET scan is. What in particular would you be looking for? I want to see if the results are consistent with Alzheimer's disease. Now, it would be rare for someone as young as yourself, but you do fit the criteria. Remember, Alice is a linguistics professor, and her life is all about words and language. But because of early onset Alzheimer's, her and her family are about to begin a very, very difficult journey. And some of you are in a similar place right now. Someone that you love is fighting a disease, some kind of disease, some kind of illness. You might be one of five million Americans with a loved one with uh, Alzheimer's, one of five million families in America. Or maybe uh, you're taking chemo or radiation to treat cancer. Or maybe you have a friend who has Parkinson's or MS or ALS or chronic pain or has had strokes or heart attacks. Or maybe there's someone you care for who's becoming weaker and losing a battle. Watching this film reminded me of my dad's illness uh, many years ago. He didn't have uh, Alzheimer's, but he had a neurological disease. One day, one side of his body just, just got weak. They thought maybe he had a stroke, but they discovered he had a, a brain tumor, the most aggressive type. A few months later, he was confused, couldn't recognize anyone, bedridden, muttering words that uh, nobody could understand. He suffered, but my mom suffered also. We all suffered. The spirit of this message today is to minister to and support 
and care for and pray for those of you who are suffering. Maybe you're in the midst of caring for a loved one with an illness. Maybe you're still hurting over the loss of someone close to you. Or you find yourself asking difficult questions about God and faith. And we want to honor and encourage those of you who have loved others in sickness and in health until death parts us. Frequently in the scripture, the Bible reminds us that life is brief and fragile. James, brother of Jesus, says, now listen, you who say, today today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Life is like that. It's a mist. It's here and then it's gone. And we all know that. But there's really nothing to prepare us for a moment like this. John. John, sweetheart, wake up. What time is it? something you want me to meet. What are you talking about? I've been seeing a neurologist. You've been seeing a neurologist? Why? They think that it might be early onset Alzheimer's disease. Hallie, Hallie, that doesn't make any sense at all. I want to tell you because I don't know anything for sure, but I've been doing all these tests and I'm really scared. Uh, Hallie. That is completely insane. I got, I got lost while I was running on campus a while ago, and I can't, I can't remember appointments, words. Honey, we all have memory lapses. That's a sign of getting older. The other day, I couldn't remember the word um, <sighs> glucose. It's not like that. It's like something just drop, drops out under me. But there is no diagnosis yet. Mm-hmm. Well, then I think that this is uh, uh, ridiculous. Why won't you take me seriously? No, I know what I'm feeling. And everything I've worked for in my entire life is going. It's all going. going. No. No. Come here. Don't cry. In a case like this, with the onset being so early, we would like to check for presenilin mutations. And that would be an indicator of familial Alzheimer's disease, which is a rarer form. And we can make an appointment for you to see a genetic counselor. So this concerns my children? Yes. I assume that if I have the gene, the odds of my passing it along are 50-50? I'm afraid so. And if they are carriers, what what are the odds of them developing the disease? I'm afraid it's 100%. I've been seeing a neurologist for the past few months, and I have Alzheimer's disease. Early onset. That, that, that doesn't make sense. Are, are you sure? There, there is no doubt she has the disease. But at her age, it's... It is rare, but it has been confirmed. Yeah, I'm so young. I don't understand that. The thing is that the the type of Alzheimer's I have is very rare. It's familial, is passed on genetically. Oh my 
We believe that she got it from her father, and of course we're very worried about the three of you. Now there is a test you can take, but it's completely up to you whether you want to find out or not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Something that makes uh, Alzheimer's and other diseases so difficult is just how hard it is on family and loved ones. Some have said that the burden is sometimes greater for the caregiver, even more so than it is for the patient. At one point in the film, Alice says, I'm not suffering, I'm struggling. And that sounds about right. Others have experienced something similar. The Alzheimer's patient really struggles, but the caregiver is the one who deeply suffers. Caregivers for anyone who is sick report higher stress levels. It's so time-consuming, emotionally draining. It's like you put your own life on, on hold, and there is many times anxiety about the future, worry about finances, and there can be withdrawal from friends and other activities that once brought you joy. And you can have anger toward the person who has the disease, anger because there's no cure Anger because other people don't seem to understand. Anger at others for not helping more. Even anger at God because this is not what you planned. This is not the dream that you had for your, for your life, for your marriage, for your family. I think there's a common misunderstanding that many of us have that adds to the hurt and the anger. We think that if you believe in God and if you love him that you won't or you shouldn't get sick. That if God loves you and you love him, you won't get Alzheimer's or have a stroke or get cancer. If you live right and serve faithfully, you always be healthy. But it's just not true. We live in a broken world. And since the beginning of time, godly men and godly women have suffered from sickness and disease. The scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust. But the scripture also says that God pays special attention to us and cares about us when we experience one of Jesus' closest friends was named Lazarus. And from everything we read, he seems to have been a good and godly man. But he got sick and died at a young age when Jesus arrived at the grave. It's the shortest verse in the entire Bible, just two words, but it says a lot about Jesus. It says, Jesus wept. And when we are sick or suffering or caring for somebody who is, we can be sure that Jesus weeps alongside you and he cares for you. In, in the pain. And we can find strength and encouragement for verses like this one here in Isaiah 43. When you pass through waters, I'll be with you. Even when you feel like you're in over your head, you're not alone. We can be sure. God will never leave us. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Oh, I love it here. Me too. Are we going running? Yes. Yes, we are. I just have to go pee. I'll be right back.
couldn't find the bathroom. It's okay, baby. Come on, let's get you cleaned up. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> it's so hard when you're sick and you feel like you're losing yourself, losing control. You feel yourself just slipping away. And those who find themselves as a caregiver of a loved one who's gradually fading away, like Alice's husband, John, they have to endure emotional, physical, and even spiritual burdens that no human being was ever designed to bear alone. And I just want to say to the River Glen family, if you know a caregiver, they need our encouragement daily. They need our love consistently and our prayers without ceasing. They need us to practice the one another's of Scripture. John 15, love one another. Galatians 5, serve one another. Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another. James 5, pray for one another. We need to take care of each other. Galatians chapter 6 says, carry each other's burdens, for this is how we obey the law of Christ. We can't really remove the burden, but we can lift part of it and make it lighter for, for, the, for the person, for the uh, caregiver. I reached out to a friend of mine from this church whose uh, wife uh, many years ago was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 47. And I asked him, what was it like being the caregiver to his wife for, for many years? And he said, uh, at the end of her journey, I was totally fried. Being a caretaker 24-7 is a job when done well can really burn out a person, especially when they're taking care of someone they deeply care for and love. I asked him what people did that helped him. He said some people would stop by, bring food, uh, send cards, spend time with us in conversation, encourage us. Some would drop by with milkshakes or uh, fresh flowers to brighten up our day. Occasionally, they would give me a break to get away to go fishing or see friends, which helped recharge my, my batteries. All these things helped lift the burden. And what a privilege that we get to be uh, the church, the, the hands and feet of Jesus to each other in the most precious moments of life. It's God's plan. That's one of the reasons why we keep encouraging everyone to join a life group so that you're part of a community enfolded in close relationships in, in your time of of need. And if you're in a life group, make sure that you're doing more than just studying the scriptures. Make sure that you live it out and do these things that we're talking about today. That's God's plan that we would be there for each other. Now, there's a quote in the book still, Alice, that's not in the movie. It says, uh, Alice says, my yesterdays are disappearing and my tomorrows are uncertain. And by the way, that's true for everybody here in the room. She goes on to say, so what do I live for? I live for each day. I live in the moment. I don't know if you realize this. That's a more biblical thought than you might realize. It's very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus put it this way. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Jesus says tomorrow is not worth worrying about. And it's a reminder to all of us today, whether we have a loved one who is sick or not, to live every day. Live for God. Live every day for Jesus. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. We don't know what tomorrow will, will hold. One moment Alice is celebrating her 50th uh, birthday, the next moment she doesn't remember who she is. So you only have today. And that's why I love this verse in Psalm 118 where it says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Rich Mullins 
was a great Christian songwriter who died tragically in an automobile accident, but he penned these words, live like you'll die tomorrow, die knowing that you'll live forever. Isn't that, isn't that a great line? Uh, we have to live for today, but we have bright hope for tomorrow. And that's what Alice decides to do. She decides to make the most of what little time she has left. I love this next scene. She gives a speech to the Alzheimer's Foundation. Notice the highlighter so that she doesn't lose her place. Alice is living with early onset Alzheimer's with the care and support of her loving family. Please welcome Alice Howland. Please uh, give me just a minute. Good morning. It's an honor to be here. The poet Elizabeth Bishop once wrote, the art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost that their loss is no disaster. I am not a poet. I am a person living with early onset Alzheimer's. And as that person, I find myself learning the art of losing every day. Losing my bearings, losing objects, losing sleep, but mostly losing memories. Um. I'll try to forget that just happened. <laughs> All my life, I've accumulated memories. They've become, in a way, my most precious possessions. The night I met my husband, the first time I held my textbook in my hands, having children, making friends, traveling the world. Everything I accumulated in life Everything I've worked so hard for, now all that is being ripped away. As you can imagine, or as you know, this is hell. But it gets worse. Who can take us seriously when we are so far from who we once were? Our strange behavior and fumbled sentences change others' perceptions of us and our perception of ourselves. We become ridiculous, incapable, comic. But this is not who we are. This is our disease. But it means so much to be talking here today, like my old ambitious self who was so fascinated by communication. Thank you for this opportunity. It means the world to me. Thank you. I think some of the most telling moments in the movie are in this scene where she gives the speech. I felt stunned when she said, this is not who we are, referring to the shell of a person that she was becoming. Because that's true for all of us, isn't it, in the spiritual realm. This is not who we are, ultimately. God wants us to know that we're not citizens of this earth. 
We're citizens of heaven. This life, this body, it's a smaller version, a a lesser version of ourselves because it's not who we really are. Philippians 3 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body that says that heaven is our home. That's where we belong. That's where your loved ones ultimately belong. And when we're in Jesus, one day God will transform our lowly bodies, these lesser versions of ourselves, our cancer-ridden lymph nodes, our dementia-filled minds, our Parkinson's-ridden hands, and all of it's going to be exchanged for a new, glorious, wonderful, heavenly body. I remember when my dad passed away, and I remember at the funeral, people would say to me, I'm sorry you lost your dad. And I knew what they meant, and I appreciated that. But there were some times I wanted to say, I didn't lose my dad. He's not lost. We know where he is. And I'm going to see him again someday. Life is short. But eternity is forever. Isn't that awesome? And so when Alice says, this is not who we are, she's right. Amen. Romans chapter 8 says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed into us. All the trauma of our light and momentary troubles on this earth are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I can remember many years ago when former President Ronald Reagan was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And one day his wife said, Ronnie's long journey has finally taken him to a distant place. A place where I can no longer reach him. A distant place. And that's where we find Alice near the end of the movie. A distant place. She has regressed into a different world. And her youngest daughter, Lydia, an aspiring actress, shares a scene from one of her favorite plays, Angels in America. Souls were rising from the earth far below. Souls of the dead, of people who'd perished from famine, from war, from the plague. They floated up like skydivers in reverse. Limbs all akimbo, wheeling, spinning. And the souls of these departed joined hands, clasped ankles, and formed a web, a great net of souls. The souls were three atom oxygen molecules of the stuff of ozone. And the outer rim absorbed them and was repaired. Because nothing is lost forever. In this world, there's a kind of painful progress, longing for what we've left behind and dreaming ahead. At least I think that's, that's it. just read. Did you like it? Mm-hmm. 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 What, what, what was it about? Mm-hmm. 
it was about love. That scene reminds me of one of the great scriptures from 1 Corinthians 13 where it says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. As Alice sinks deeper and deeper into dementia, there's a moment where she says to her daughter, Lydia, you're so beautiful. I'm afraid of looking at you and not knowing who you are. Lydia responds, I think that even if you don't know who I am, you will know that I love you. Still anxious, Alice asks, what if I see you and I don't know that you're my daughter? I don't know that you love me. Then Lydia says, I'll tell you that I do and you'll believe me. It's interesting, at the beginning of the movie, Lydia and Alice have an estranged relationship. They have some, some conflict, but the suffering they go through brings them together and strengthens and deepens their love for each other like never before. These three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Have you ever wondered why love is the greatest out of those three? Maybe it's because you can leave a mark of faith, hope, and love on others after you pass from this life. But love is the only one you can take with you to the other side, to life beyond the grave. I mean, if you have faith in Jesus in this life, you won't need faith in, in heaven. Because you're going to see Jesus in heaven. And you're not going to need hope in heaven because in heaven there's no sickness, there's no Alzheimer's, there's no cancer, there's no tears in heaven. But heaven is filled with love because God is love as seen in Jesus. And that's why love is the greatest. And so cling to love. Love others. Love your neighbors. Love your family while you still have the opportunity. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, because love is the greatest. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes for a moment. Before I pray, I want to say that I know that this message has probably hit some of you personally. You're a caregiver, or you're dealing with an illness in your life, or someone you love, or you're grieving. And if you'd like to have someone pray for you individually today, just come down front after the service. We'll have Stephen ministers available down front, and they would be glad to pray for you. My prayer for you today is that you would feel and remember God's love for you. God sees you. You're not alone. He counts every tear. And then after I pray, we're going to pass communion, and the band is going to play a song called Even When It Hurts. There's a line in the song that says, take this fainted heart and wash me in your love. And that's what God wants to do. That's why Jesus invites everyone to share communion, to feel washed in God's love. The, blood, or the bread represents Christ's body and the juice represents Christ's blood. The cross shows you how Jesus enters your pain and suffers with us and how much he loves you. God, today I pray for my brothers and sisters who have been maybe hit personally by this message. And they need to feel and sense just an extra dose of your love today. God, by your Holy Spirit, may they feel your presence and power right now. Strengthen them moment by moment for the days that are ahead, knowing that you're with them and you, you have not or, and, and never will abandon them. And God, I pray that you would move the rest of us who are not direct caregivers, but that you would move us to love those who need encouragement and support right now those who are ill and those who are caring for them. Help us to be aware and attentive of whoever might be around us. Maybe it's someone with an aging parent 
or someone who is fighting an ongoing illness. God, help us to see the people in our small groups, the people all around us at work who are struggling. Maybe even as we leave here today, just help us know what to do, whether it's an arm around the shoulder or a note or a phone call or sharing a meal. Help us lift each other's burdens and thank you for the privilege of really being the church for each other. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not just with our prayers, but with acts of love for those around us. And God, I know there are also some who are facing really hard things that life has thrown at them right now, and, and they're trying to do it without you. Some here maybe have never experienced your love. And I just pray that you would help them, God, to not miss the most important thing in life, which is knowing you. I pray that you'll draw all of us to yourself and help my friends who need it the most just to realize that you are there for them and you love them and you couldn't bear the thought of spending eternity without us. And that's why you sent your son, Jesus. God, help us to turn to you for grace and love and to put our faith in you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.